You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. For a person in ministry, I do lots and lots of interviewing and lots and lots of hiring. Uh, I have hired 34 college interns and 16 youth pastors during my 17-year tenure here at the Advent. That is 50 hires. Our uh, world-class and outstanding administrator, Brian Helm, refers to my department as Cameron's revolving door. Now, one, since I do so much hiring and interviewing, I've asked a number of mentors for strategies and tips on how to interview people. Uh, and one person told me of a unique and extremely risky practice that he uses when he interviews every candidate. He asks every candidate, tell me about your father. He says some people speak glowingly, some people demonstrate a fair amount of pain, and he said he's even had some people who immediately started crying when asked that question. So I asked him, why does he ask such a personal and risky question uh, in an interview? And he said that he believes that how a person operates in life often has a lot to do with how they perceive and feel about their father. So what comes to your heart and mind when you are asked the question, tell me about your father? That can elicit joy for some and pain for others. But let's take that another step further. What comes to your heart and mind when you are asked the question, tell me about God the Father? I would argue that your feelings and perceptions about God the Father and his feelings and perceptions towards you has as much to do with the way that you live and have your being as any other factor in your life. In Romans 8.13, Paul writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to, de- put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He sets up this dichotomy of the flesh versus the spirit. I'll say in the past when I heard about the flesh versus the spirit, I would think that the flesh had to do with my sinful desires and temptations, whereas the spirit had to do with the affinities that come through the Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart. When Paul talks about the flesh versus the spirit, he has a much broader category in mind than just that. Paul is thinking about the flesh as the age before the coming of Jesus, and the Spirit as the age that follows the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So when we bring that down to the individual level, the flesh refers to our life before Christ and those tendencies that come out of the sinful nature, and the Spirit refers to our life post-conversion, after we have put our faith in Christ and the affinities that flow out of the work of the Holy Spirit. So this before and after... It's not just cosmic in nature. It's also relational. Paul uses the terminology, in fact, of familial relationships when he talks about the flesh and the spirit. In the flesh, we relate to God as slaves before a slave master. And in the spirit, we relate to God as children before a loving father. A daily battle exists between relating to God as slaves before a slave master versus relating to God as children before a perfect loving father. Paul makes clear, when we relate to God as a slave master, we die. 
And when we relate to God as a perfect, loving Father, we live. So today I want to examine God the parent in two ways. First, the father that God is not. And second, the father that God actually is. When we relate to God the Father as he truly is according to the Bible, we find the peace and the life promised in the gospel. So first, the father that God is not. Now, regardless of whether a person is a Christian or not, we all subliminally view God as a parent. It's just a matter of whether that view is true or false. Paul's statement in verse 15 says so much relative to this view. For you did not receive the the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Slavery. That's the key word. So if we translate this word slavery into our conceptualization of God as a parent, then this means we will view God as one of two kinds of parents. First, the taskmaster parent who demands performance. There was an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary called The Todd Marinovich Project about former USC and Los Angeles Raiders quarterback Todd Marinovich. His father, Marv, was the first strength and conditioning coach in NFL history. And he would survey the globe looking for the most cutting-edge methods and practices to get optimal performance out of the football players that he represented. The documentary summarizes Marv's relationship with Todd in this way. Marv would later test his theories on his son, Todd. Marv wanted to see what would happen if a ch- to a child if they were bred and raised under ideal conditions. Therefore, he began stretching Todd when he was an infant and fed him only fruits and vegetables. Todd would go, go on to be labeled RoboQB. His story became national news. A child who had never eaten a Big Mac and that has been working out since under the age of five under the conditions set by his father Marv. Marv would become the poster child for the dangers of being an overbearing parent. Not surprisingly, Todd struggled with addiction and mental health issues as a teenager and as an adult. Many people had the experience of growing up with a father who functioned more like a coach. They saw their role as eliciting max performance from their children. Well, too often, we view God as the taskmaster parent who wants us to perform. When I was a young person, I thought that what it meant to be a Christian was to ask Jesus into your heart for salvation and then just try really, really hard. I thought that what would make God pleased with me is to try hard and to be really successful. And this mentality is predicated on a false view of God, the taskmaster parent. Now, the second type of parent of the flesh is God, the distant, aloof parent. Slave masters do not have personal relationships with their servants. They keep a strict professional distance in accordance with the power dynamics. When you hear about a distant parent, this may strike a chord with you. I was a volunteer youth pastor out in Fairfield. Uh, a, A group of young men and I were talking about our dads. And one young man admitted that this conversation was painful and shameful for him because he had never met his father and he honestly did not know who his dad was. 
This is all too often a, a tragic reality for many, for many children. Well, you may have grown up in a house where your father was physically there, but he was so emotionally unavailable that he may as well have been a ghost. Either way, both of these situations are very painful for people. So the false god of the flesh is a distant, aloof parent. Very often in the flesh, before we truly know who God is according to Scripture, God functions more of like an abstraction or a concept or an idea. And if you're not a Christian and and your view of God is that God is simply a higher power, you need to acknowledge that a higher power cannot have a personal relationship with you. A higher power is an emotionally unavailable deity. Well, in verse 13 and 15, we see that there are two fruits of living according to the flesh, viewing God as the distant taskmaster parent, and those are fear and death. Again, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In the flesh is that fear of judgment and criticism. There is the fear of abandonment and of isolation. There is that fear of just not measuring up. And if you live in the fear, fear of death or failure or disease or rejection, it primarily originates in one place. Fear in the flesh emanates from the fear of God, the taskmaster distant parent. Now keep in mind, most of our sin flows out of fear. When we are living in fear, we tend to be impatient and self-focused and angry. When we lie, it's usually out of some kind of fear of rejection or judgment or consequence. When we are stingy or we steal, there's usually a fear that God is just not going to provide enough for us. I heard a wise parent say this week, most of my worst parenting comes when I am operating out of fear. And Paul writes in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If we live with this false view of God as a taskmaster parent who's out to get us, who's against us, who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can slam his fist down on the table, you will die. If you live with the belief that God is an emotionally vacant father who doesn't know you, who's not interested in you, you will die. Not necessarily physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and socially. This view of God will corrode your soul. There's a worship song called No Longer Slaves where the refrain repeats over and over again, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We find freedom when we see ourselves truly as children before a perfect loving father according to the Spirit. There we find the peace when we know God in this way. That takes us to our second point, the father that God actually is. Now, this conversation about the distant taskmaster father may have stirred up some pain and some sorrow for you. And for that, I'm really, truly sorry. Uh, Recently, I walked with a friend who lives out west. His father was diagnosed with cancer, and he is dying precipitously. For years, my friend had lamented 
that he felt as if his father never understood him and, and never accepted him. And now that his father was dying so quickly, he was starting to mourn the reality that their relationship would probably never be the way that he hoped it would be on this side of eternity. There is a reality that there is nothing any parent can do, even the best parents, to heal this father wound. We were all made to live in the Garden of Eden with perfect parents. And we were all born in the fallen world with sinful parents. The hope, though, is that knowing the perfect love of God the Father, it can heal this wound. Paul writes in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, it's worth noting that we are not born children of God. We are adopted as children of God when we put our faith in Christ. And notice how Paul says sons of God, not sons and daughters. This is not Paul being a chauvinist or being misogynistic. Only sons could inherit property in the first century Roman world. What Paul is conveying is that all believers, both men and women alike, inherit the favor of God that Christ earned through a perfect life. He reinforces this truth in verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Again, there is this language of inheritance. So what exactly is being inherited? Well, first, there is the inheritance of eternal life in heaven with Christ. Secondly, there is the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth with Christ. But there's also an inheritance that we receive in the here and now, and that is the favor of God. Here's how the gospel works. Because of our sin, we earn the judgment, rejection, and separation from God. But Christ lives a perfect life for us, and he dies on the cross to wash away our sins. And here's what happens. When you put your faith in Christ, God reckons you righteous, as if you yourself had lived a perfect life just like Jesus. And God the Father regards you as if you had lived a perfectly obedient life. Now, imagine if you're a parent, the pleasure and the joy that you take in your children, both in the good and the bad. But there is this thing that we admit that there are these moments when our children are particularly good, when they're particularly obedient or generous or kind, and we have this elevated sense of pleasure that we take in our children in those moments. Well, imagine being a parent whose child always did the right thing, and who was always obedient. Imagine the sustained pleasure and joy that you would take in that child. Well, that was the experience of God the Father with his perfect son, Jesus. And through the gospel, God the Father regard, regards you with the same kind of pleasure and delight as he does his son, Jesus Christ. Certainly our sin grieves God, but in terms of how God regards you as a person, he loves you apart from your performance, and he loves you according to the performance of his son, Jesus Christ. So the key word validating this reality is the word Abba in verse 15. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Now notice that Paul throws in this Aramaic word, Abba. Now he has written the entire letter in Greek. Why here use this one Aramaic word? I mean, he has used the Greek word for father already, already, right next to the word Abba. But he throws in this additional Aramaic word. Why is this? There are two reasons. First, in a Palestinian household, this is the affectionate way that a child would refer to their father. This would be the American equivalent of dad or daddy. If you've seen The Sound of Music, you notice that the kids in that movie, they have a father who is a military officer. And he relates to his kids as if they are soldiers. What is it they call their dad? Father. Father. We do not have a father kind of relationship with God. We have a dad or daddy type of relationship with the Lord through Christ. And secondly, theologian Gordon Fee takes this one step further. He says that Paul uses the term Abba because this is the word that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would have used to call on his Father as the Son of God. So I am not in any way saying that we are members of the Trinity, but through Christ we inherit the kind of a relationship with God, a personal relationship, such that we can call him with the same name that Jesus, the Son of God, called God the Father. You may be thinking, intellectually, I know this. I buy this. But I cannot say that I feel this in my relationship with God. How does this become real? Well, first, notice the presence of the Holy Spirit in this passage about God the Father and adoption. The love of God the Father is conferred to us through the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that the perfect love of God comes to us. So we want to ask the Holy Spirit to make this affection of God the Father real in our hearts and in our lives. And secondly, when Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Putting to death the deeds of the body does not just mean repenting from sin. It also involves a repentance of our perception and our mentality towards the Lord. It has to do with putting to death this view of God as a distant taskmaster father and embracing the true view of who he is, that kind, perfectly loving father. And when we do this, our fears start to dissipate. We find life in peace. God the father, a taskmaster. No, he loves you apart from your performance. God the Father, distant and aloof, no, he's Abba. He's a God that we call Dad. And when you live in this truth and reality, your fears are assuaged, and the peace of the gospel begins to rise up in your heart. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.